Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife, Les, and I went to the Boston Museum of Science. I love that place. And uh, every time I go, you know, take my picture in front of the T-Rex, you know. You know, we're buddies now. Um, but one of the exhibits there uh, was this one called uh, Seeing is Deceiving. And, uh, you know, they have all kinds of optical illusions, and you have fun kind of playing around with those and squinting and looking and all that. But among the optical illusions, they had a bunch of different sort of photographs or paintings or photographs, I guess. But you'd look at them and it looked like a human face, for example. And then you'd look at it from one angle, it would be, a, you know, it'd be an old woman or it'd be a young woman or it'd be a giraffe, I don't know, you know. And then there are others where you look at it and it's a face and then, and then you kind of look at it more closely. You see, the face was made up of like vegetables. I have no idea how they did that. But, but it looked like perfectly like a face, but, but it was made out of all these different things. They just kind of came together. And seeing is deceiving. You, 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 you look at it and you, and you instantly understand what it is. And then you look at it again and say, wow, it's way more complex than I imagined. There's something else going on here that is so cool. The Gospel of Mark is like that. We've been working through the, we're going to work through the whole Gospel of Mark. We're, I don't know what week it is now, it's week seven, week eight. And we're up to chapter six. And, uh, but, the, but the Gospel is like that. Uh, you read it, it's action-packed. You think you understand it. The, the message the, is really clear, just looking at it right, right off. It's right out there, right on the surface. And then you read it again and you start looking at the context and you say, wow, there's something else going on as well here. This one story interacts with another story. They kind of shape each other. They, they expand the meaning. It's deep. It's action-packed, but it's not trite. It, there's a lot of stuff going on underneath the surface in the Gospel of Mark just waiting for you to catch it. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. So we're in chapter 6 today. We're going to be looking at verses 30 to, f to 56. Um, but here's a recap so far of chapter 6. Jesus goes to his hometown in Nazareth, verses 1 through 6. 6, 1 through 6. He gets rejected there. They just, they just write him off. So he doesn't get do a lot of miracles there. He leaves there. He goes preaching village to village. And then he sends out his disciples two by two. And they're supposed to preach the gospel and cast out demons and, and heal people. And they start doing that. And there's a buzz around Jesus. Who is he? And some people say he's Elijah. And some people say some kind of prophet. John the Baptist, uh, Herod, King Herod hears about this. He says, I know who it is. It's John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Herod is kind of consumed by John, partly because I think he has a guilty conscience. Uh, Pastor Paul talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Herod's the one who had John beheaded. But, but it's weighing on him, it seems like. So he, he thinks it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. In any case, uh, we're, we're beginning the passage with verse 30. It's on page, I think, 712 in your Bibles, your pew Bibles. So if you turn with me there, we're going to start by reading verses 30 through 44. Okay? Okay? 
The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples pick up, picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So our passage begins with the disciples gathering around Jesus to tell him all that they had done uh, in the mission that he sent them out to. And maybe they gathered to grieve as well because that, that Greek verb translated as gathered around has a sense of gather, gathering around to console as well. So they're coming back to report and are also gathering around to grieve together the loss of John the Baptist, whom some of them had known very, very well. So they, get, they gather together. And uh, there's a crowd that gathers around them. They get, they get together, the crowd gathers. It's really, really hectic. People just pressing in, having all these demands. So they try to, 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 to do what they can do for the people who've gathered. They heal and they teach and they preach and all this kind of stuff happens. And uh, they don't even have time to breathe, basically, let alone eat. And eventually Jesus says to, to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And they, their thing is like, yeah, that's good. So they get in a boat. They go off to this quiet place, a solitary place, to get some rest. problem is that the plan doesn't succeed. When Jesus and his disciples arrive at this resting place, there's this great crowd awaiting them. They're just there. 
And now, if you're Jesus or one of the disciples, you haven't eaten all day, you've been working like crazy, you've come back from really hectic time, and you're tired and exhausted. If you were one of Jesus or one of the disciples and you saw this crowd there, how would you react to that? How would you feel? Would you feel excited? I don't think so. I think you'd be mostly feeling frustrated and maybe annoyed. You know, just kind of, this isn't the plan. It's not the plan. Maybe they're angry at this unexpected demand on their already ebbed energy, if you will. But that's not how Jesus responds when he sees the crowd. He looks at this crowd, and the text says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Now, here's what you got to know about sheep. They're really, really, really nearsighted, and they are really, really, really dumb. A lot of people think that uh, I remind them of sheep. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Sheep need a shepherd who can take care of them all the time. I mean, what happens to sheep without a shepherd? They go astray immediately. They just get lost. They get attacked by wild animals and they can't defend themselves at all. They're slow. They can't run away. A lot like me. (laughs) They have no sense of direction. They need shepherds who will guide them to green pastures and still waters. They need shepherds to protect them from wild wolves. And as long as sheep have shepherds, good shepherds, they're pretty happy. They're kind of blessed and happy. You know, but if they don't have a good shepherd, they are in serious, serious trouble. Jesus looks at this crowd in front of him, and these people are in trouble. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, they're supposed to have shepherds. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of of the law are supposed to be their shepherds. Herod, the king, is supposed to be their shepherd. But these supposed shepherds of Israel, they're not good shepherds at all. They they use the people for their own selfish purposes. They abandon their mission, if you will, as shepherds. You know, it's false leadership. False leadership. John, uh, you know, King Herod beheads a righteous man. John, why to please a young woman at a dinner that was for just to exalt himself? He abused his leadership position as a king. People are harassed and distressed by the false shepherds. Jesus looks at them. He sees that they're in serious trouble. He has compassion on because they are like sheep without a shepherd. So what does Jesus do? He reaches out to them. 
There's a passage in Ezekiel where the prophet says in chapter 34, verses 5 and 6, they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food to all the animals of the, of the field. My sheep wandered. Yes, my sheep were scattered on all the surface of the earth, and there was no one who searched or sought them. Reminds us of the passage also from Moses. Moses is near the end of his life. He knows he's not going to be the one leading the people into the promised land. And he goes before God. He asks God to appoint a new shepherd for the people. Moses had been their shepherd. He'd been a good shepherd. But he's not going to be their shepherd much longer. So he says, Lord, give them a good shepherd. Someone who will lead them into the cross and into the promised land. In Numbers 27, 17, God chooses, he chooses Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. So they, they get led. Now, there's something interesting about Joshua. The word Joshua is the Hebrew version of the word Jesus. Jesus is the, or I should put it the other way, Jesus is the Greek version of the name Joshua. So Joshua, Jesus, same name. It means God is Savior. God is my salvation. God is my rescuer. It has those kinds of connotations. I think it's an appropriate name for Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who searches for his scattered sheep and rescues them. In our passage today, Jesus sees the crowd, has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, so he begins teaching the crowd. He goes all day, all day, morning, through evening, late in the evening, and the crowd hangs with him. They're still there. They hang with him. They don't leave. I, you know, truthfully, I have fantasies about doing that here at the journey. You know, you know start preaching at 10 a.m., keep going and going and going, you know, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6, 8 o'clock. You don't hang with me, right? Sure. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> well, they hang with Jesus through that whole thing. The disciples, however, they've had enough. So they come to Jesus and they say to him, this is a remote place. It's already late. Send the people away so that they can go get some you know, food to eat. And maybe we can too. That's kind of subtext. Now, the disciples' request, it, it sounds reasonable, right? That makes sense. Send them away, get something to eat. We need to get something to eat too. Let's, let's just end this thing, okay? But then Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Now, if the disciples weren't annoyed at the beginning of the day, they are definitely annoyed now. 
In fact, they're passing the Lord. They're just flat out angry. Who are they angry at? Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. Jesus, you said we were going to a quiet place to rest. I don't know about you, Jesus, but I'm not resting. Send them away. You give them something to eat. Send them away. You give them something to eat. Well, how are we going to do that? It would take at least a half year's wages more for them to buy, for us to buy enough food to feed this crowd. Where are we going to get that? You know, Jesus, that money doesn't grow on trees, right? You know, you know this? You know? So Jesus says to them, okay, I hear you. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. How many loaves do we have? Go and see. So they humor Jesus. They go and see. And they come back. Okay? What did you find? Five loaves, Jesus. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Five loaves and two fish. Woo-hoo! Let's get this party started. <laughs> yeah, right? They're frustrated. They're getting stubborn and cynical, and they just want to belt Jesus. What will, I mean, think about it. What will five small loaves and two little fish do for a crowd of 5,000 men and women and children, so like a big crowd? You know? Well, Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish. And then verses 39 to 43, Jesus directs all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he takes the five loaves and two fish. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks. He breaks them. He gives them to the disciples to distribute. And they start distributing. And they keep distributing and then they distribute some more and some more and some more. And five loaves and two fish just, they just keep showing up in the baskets. And next thing you know, thousands of people, thousands upon thousands and thousands of people get fed and there are 12 basketfuls left. And the disciples see all of that. They participate in it. And you'd think they'd be saying, whoa, what just happened here? But Mark doesn't say anything about how they react to it. He just ends that. We'll come back to this in a moment. But think, well, let's think about this. What, what do we learn from this, this feeding? I'd say a couple things and several things. One of them is that Jesus asks us to exercise compassion toward others just as he does. Send them away. No, you feed them. Jesus won't let them send the crowd away. 
He wants them to participate with him in extending compassion to people. That's what Jesus wants for his people. He wants us to participate with him in extending compassion to the people around us. Notice, Jesus doesn't ask them what they don't have. He asks them to find out what they do have. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they don't think they have any, they, but they find out they do have some, five loaves and two fish. That doesn't seem like anything to them, but Jesus can take a little and do a lot with it. That's the other principle here. Extend compassion Give what you have. Don't worry about what you don't have. Believe that Jesus can take what you have, even if it's just a little, and do a lot with it. So use it. Okay? Key principles for day-to-day life as a follower of Jesus in his kingdom. We're going to move on to verses 45 to 52. Now, I'd like to ask you to do something. Just listen to me read them. Don't, don't open your app or your pew Bible. Just listen to me read this for a moment, okay? Pay attention as I read. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about How would you finish that sentence? They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about what Mark says is they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What Mark is telling us is there's a connection between the feeding of the 5,000 plus and this walking on the water. And because they didn't understand what happened at that feeding, they didn't understand who it was who was walking toward them and passing by them on the lake. So we're going to try to unpack that over the next couple of minutes. This is an example of Mark having layers of meaning, showing us layers of meaning behind various events. 
Who is this who walks on water? So Jesus puts them in a boat. He sends them off by themselves. He dismisses the crowd. He doesn't want them to, the crowd who doesn't want to leave. And he goes into the hills to pray. This is kind of funny. Why does Jesus send them on ahead? You get some clues actually from John chapter 6. What happens in John chapter 6, a parallel passage to this, is that you know, he feed, you know, feeds this crowd and they keep, keep around him. And uh, they, want, they decide, wow, this is cool. Let's make him king. And they try to make Jesus king. And Jesus knows that they want to make him king just because he feeds them. So he, he won't let them do that. He dismisses the crowd. He makes them leave. It's possible that the reason that Jesus tells the disciples to get in a boat and leave as well is because they get caught out in the hype about this. And... Uh, they miss Jesus' intent in this, and so they get, are getting away of what Jesus wants to do anyway. He sends them on by themselves onto this lake, into the boat, into the lake. And it's late at night when he does that, so they get into the boat late at night, and they're rowing, and Jesus goes off to pray. And Jesus can pray a long time. He's praying through the night, probably praying for his disciples. Um, but then the text says in the fourth hour, so early morning, so it's like sometime between, you know, you know 6 a.m., sometime, sometime around 6 a.m., he sees them out on a lake, and they've been rowing all night because they're in the middle, they're rowing, they're not in danger of being tipped over, but they can't make any progress because the wind's against them. It just, it just keeps them stuck in the middle of the lake. Now, think about them. They've had a real busy season of ministry. They haven't eaten all day. They're frustrated. They're tired. They're angry. Then Jesus makes them. The text is clear. Jesus makes them go into the boat. So they're in the boat, and they're rowing all night, and it's Jesus' fault. Jesus is the one who got them into this. And if you think they were mad earlier, it just... And they're by themselves now. They can't even yell at him because he's not there. You know? He's in the boat. So they're in the boat. They're doing all this. And then what happens? He sees him and he starts walking on the water. He's walking on the water. And the text says, when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a ghost, and they all cried out. In fact, they screamed. That's what the text means. They screamed in terror. They're just flat out terrified. And the text also says that Jesus was about to walk by them. But he stops and he uh, cries, he tells them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. He gets in the boat with them. Now, 
Why did Jesus decide to walk in the water across that lake? It's because he wanted to reveal to his disciples who he was. And the disciples should have understood this. Job 9 tells us that God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waters of the sea. Psalm 77 says, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So Psalm 77 makes a connection between walking on water and shepherding people. Job tells us that God is the one who walks on water. The disciples just can't see who it is. They don't recognize who it is that's walking toward them and about to walk past them. They're terrified. Instead of seeing God, they see a ghost. Now, Jesus isn't walking toward them. The text is clear that his intent is to walk past them. The verb is very clear, parakomai. Walk past them. Now, what's that all about? Well, there are a couple of passages in the Old Testament that talk about God passing by his people to reveal himself. So, for example, in Exodus 34, Moses asks God to show him his glory. And God says, okay, I will show you my glory. I will pass by you. In Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, that verb is used, the, 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 the same the Hebrew word that's used in Exodus 33 and 34 is one used here in Mark 6 in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. Same Greek word, paraklamai. To, to talk about passing by, it's, an, it's, it's not, it's, it's a verb used to talk about a theophany, an appearance of God, a revealing of God. So Moses passed, so God passes by Moses in Exodus 34, 6. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. You get the same thing happening with Elijah, where God passed by Elijah in 1 Kings 19.11. It's a theophany, a revelation of God appearing. So that's what Jesus intended to do when he was walking on the water to pass by his disciples. He wanted to reveal his identity, who he was. He was revealing his glory just the glory that he shared with the Father and the glory that he extends to his followers. And they miss the whole thing. Here he is. The God who calmed the storm is the one who appears in the storm. He is God, the I Am. Notice what happens he says to them, take courage, it is I. That, that phrase, it is I, is the Greek phrase, ego, 
Amy, or if you were using modern Greek, Eloime. It can be translated as it is I, it means it is I. But in the Greek translation of the Old Testament again, in Exodus 3 and other places, when God says, when Moses says to, to God, who shall I send sent me? God says, ego emi, Yahweh. That's the word Yahweh. It's God's personal name. I am who I am. So what the disciples should have heard here is, don't be afraid, I am. I am has sent me. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Jesus is using language of Exodus 3 and other places to tell the disciples that he's God. That he has come to them and that therefore they don't need to be afraid. They don't need to be afraid. I actually find this extremely encouraging because the disciples are dopes. And I am so often a dope. And yet Jesus doesn't give up on those dopes or on this dope. He continues to reach out. Don't be afraid. He continues to reach out and envelop and teach. He won't leave us or forsake us. That's the greatness of our God. The God who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness on the earth. The God of compassion and grace. That's who he is. This is what the disciples were supposed to understand about the loaves in the wilderness. The God, the person who fed the crowd is God. The person who walks on water is God. He leads his people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Exodus 16.4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread for you. It really is only God who provides bread in the wilderness. John 6 For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life, Jesus says to them. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the shepherd of Psalm 23. Mark has Psalm 23 in his mind. And what happens in that feeding of the 5,000 is really an an inaction of Psalm 23. You know the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, lie down in green grass. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, the dark of, of death, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He feeds the people in the shadow of Herod's beheading of John. He appears in the water when they think that they are stuck in the middle of a lake about to die. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, whether it's Herod or storms or the devil himself. Jesus feeds his people. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is a shepherd who takes his people home forever. That's what Jesus wanted them to see through the feeding and then through the walking on water and passing by them. We are still in the Christmas season. And Christmas is about God fulfilling his promise to shepherd his people to make all things right. The child in the womb becomes the king on his throne and the king on his throne uses his power to feed and to shepherd, to love and to lead his people. That's what this passage is about. Jesus is the one who comes to us in the only way that we can see him. He comes to us clothed in human flesh. He's the God who is our good shepherd, leading us to quiet waters, watching over us with love, protection, and care, defeating our enemies, walking with us through death into life, leading us to wholeness, into shalom, to flourishing. The great feeding and the sea-walking episodes present Jesus as a new Moses who feeds his people in the wilderness and leads them to the promised land. He's the promised Messiah, the good shepherd, the Lamb of God, the bread of life, the presence of God who is with us in the flesh and through his spirit and for all Eternity. For those with eyes to see, Jesus reveals his identity and shows us God's glorious new creation, rain breaking into this world and preparing the way for the new world to come. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd. Let's pray.